0: Karl Marx, the atheist and founder of communism, famously once wrote, religion is the opiate of the masses. What he is is saying is that religion is nothing more than a painkiller. Just as a painkiller like opium could help an injured person deal with physical pain, so religion, he claimed, helped a person deal with the suffering of this life by giving them the false hope of of happiness in the next. Now, the question to always ask with philosophical claims like this is, is it true? Is this all merely a nice fantasy and a man-made fantasy at that which numbs us to the harsh realities of life by giving us a false hope of a blissful heaven? The answer is a resounding no. First and foremost, He gets it wrong. Religion is not a man-made phenomenon. God himself revealed himself. God who cannot deceive nor be deceived reveals that he exists, reveals the existence of an afterlife, of heaven and hell and purgatory. There's a second thing that he gets wrong with this claim. He fundamentally misunderstands the Christian approach to suffering, and he misunderstands heaven. Let's start by looking at the Christian approach to suffering. In our first reading, St. Paul says, it is necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. And were Karl Marx here, I suppose he would hold this up as exhibit A in his case against religion. Let's ask this question, though. Why? Why does St. Paul say it's necessary to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God? I would dare say that we will find our answer in the gospel where Jesus gives us a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. The love that Christ commands of his disciples is the key to making sense of St. Paul's words. It's the key to making sense of the Christian approach to suffering. So let's talk about love. Love is not merely an emotion. It's not reducible to feelings as sometimes it is portrayed in the culture. If that were the case, we could not be commanded to love another person. We couldn't be commanded to love any more than we could be commanded to be sad or happy. No, classically, love has been understood as willing the good of another. But remember, Christ said he wanted us to love one another as he loved us. How did Christ love us? the self-giving, self-sacrificial love that was most excellently displayed on Calvary where he laid down his life for us. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that shows us the answer to why we have to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And the answer is Christ calls us to the same self-giving, self-sacrificial love. The cross of Jesus Christ shows us that love, in the highest sense of the word, is impossible without sacrifice. And this is not something we can do by our own effort alone. We need his grace. We need to receive the love of God first and accept it. And allow Christ's love to transform us to the point where we can begin to love others as he loved us. And he offers us this ordinarily in the sacraments. And it grows as um, our devotion and our prayer life grows. And it it grows especially by exercising it, by us making acts of self-sacrificial love for God and neighbor. So what Marx gets wrong about the Christian approach to suffering is he sees it as nothing more than a call to simply endure the hardships of this life, to grind our teeth and get through with it, And then we'll be rewarded later. When in reality, we are called to endure hardship because Christ commanded us to love one another as he loved us with this self-sacrificial love he exemplified on Calvary. And it is this self-giving, self-sacrificial love that is essential to understanding heaven as well. Our second reading, which is taken from the book of Revelation, it depicts heaven as a holy city, a new and eternal Jerusalem, which is transformed. In this new and eternal Jerusalem, there is no more hardship or suffering. God dwells with his people, and he says, Behold, I make all things new. Earlier in Revelation, in Revelation 18, we hear about a very different kind of city, the polar opposite of this new and eternal Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Babylon. Not the historical Babylon, but this Babylon stands for all that is opposed to to God. Babylon and the New Jerusalem, two cities that stand for two paths for mankind and two destinations. Babylon stands for the destruction of hell, New Jerusalem for heaven. One city rebels against God with finality. The other is in intimate and unceasing communion with him for eternity. And the, This idea of two contrasting cities that we see in Revelation Saint Augustine, one of the great thinkers in our tradition, he will take this up in his masterpiece, The City of God, where he'll speak of the city of God and the city of man, that in this life, we see these two side by side and intermingled. He said these two cities are formed by two very different kinds of love, the city of man, the earthly city created by self-love, a selfish love that is, in reality, no love at all, that reaches the point of contempt towards others and contempt towards God. By contrast, the city of God, the heavenly city, is built and unified by the love of God to the point of forgetfulness of self or contempt of self. So what our second reading shows us with Augustine's insight is that heaven is not a pie in the sky, it's not a reward for grinding our teeth and bearing hardship, but it's the fruit of love, of this self-giving love that Christ displayed on Calvary, that he offers to us in the sacraments and prayer, a love which ought to take roots in our hearts and mature so that we can begin to love others as Christ loved us. And then it comes to completion in heaven, where we gaze upon he who is himself love, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. This is what Marx gets wrong about heaven. This is what uh, he gets wrong about suffering. You can't understand either without the self-giving love Jesus Christ displayed and calls us to. You know, there's something else I should say about St. Paul's ex- exhortation um, that it's necessary to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I mentioned this last time, last week, but I would say there is uh, going to be an opportunity for us to bear a particularly difficult hardship this summer, the hardship of contention, strife, and division. I mentioned last week the leak of the draft of the Supreme Court opinion in the Dobbs abortion case, and it's been not quite two weeks since that happened, and there's been uh, quite a lot of pushback against the church. The church has been targeted by pro-abortion activists. There have been some vandalizations, there have been some disruptions at mass, thankfully nothing locally but god willing if roe and casey are overturned finally there will be more and in kansas this opposition will be particularly fierce because we have uh the coming vote on the value them both amendment in early august so there will be contention and strife and division publicly and privately within our homes among our friends how should we respond to this hardship We should endure it out of love for Christ and love for neighbor. That means we must react to this opposition and pushback with the love Christ commands of his disciples, with loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. It means, on the one hand, we don't retaliate by lashing out with hatred or malicious personal attacks, even if we believe the same are directed at us. Remember, no disciple is greater than his master, and Jesus received malicious personal attacks often, and he never responded in kind. Yet Jesus also never shied away from speaking the truth, and we must do likewise. We, since to love is to will the good of another, that means we must love others enough to speak the truth on the sanctity of human life. We must proclaim the truth about the sanctity of human life with love, compassion, mercy, but we must never cower before attempts to bully the church into silence. You know, we have uh, received a couple of complaints since our large value them both sign was placed in our yard saying it's illegal because we're a tax-exempt organization. It is not illegal. Uh, the church has every right to speak on, to educate, and advocate for a moral issue which is different from backing a political party or a political candidate. We have a handout in our bulletin. I encourage uh, everyone to read for a broader explanation. We also just have the handout if you'd rather take that in the narthex. But in my experience, this line of argument that the church shouldn't talk on moral issues like abortion because of her tax-exempt status, this is simply an attempt to shut down debate. It is simply an attempt to bully the church into silence. We won't be silent because Christ has called us to love others as he loved us, and so we must love others enough to speak the truth and to speak the truth with the love he commands of us. Lastly, facing backlash, opposition with the love of Christ means not being afraid. Christ said, in this world you have trouble. But take courage, I have overcome the world. We do not need to be afraid of whatever division or strife or contention comes our way. For in the end, the victory is the Lord. In the end, life will be victorious. So let us pray that the love of Christ may take root and grow in our hearts so that we can endure whatever hardships God permits to come our way so that one day we might be called the true citizens of the Holy City the new and eternal Jerusalem in heaven.